Hello, I'm Duryodhan Hawk, also known as Daya. I'm an Indonesian-Pakistani non-binary lesbian. Hi, everyone. I'm Marianne Asylum, a.k.a. Mary. I'm a Lebanese Aboriginal bisexual woman. We're two writers who love movies, television, and books, especially when they're gay. And welcome to Gay V Club, where we'll be analyzing LGBT texts that we like, that we don't like, and how we relate to these texts as gay people of color. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Gay V Club. If you like us, leave a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at gayv underscore club if you want to follow us for updates. Also, if you're interested in supporting us, we have a Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash gayvclub, which has a bunch of little bonus episodes. Lots of extra goodies for you over there if you sign up. And thank you to our existing patrons. Yeah, we love you guys. We love you. Also, just a reminder that the Patreon platform very much exists for you. So if you have requests, just send them in. Yeah. Thank you. So. What are we going to talk about today, Duryadhan? Well, today, Mariana, we are going to talk about our favorite queer-coded slash explicitly LGBT villains. We have spoken on this podcast before about how it's bad to queer code villains and demonize LGBT people for a number of reasons. But, you know, sometimes villains that are gay are better. Also, sometimes we have double standards. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we're just nuanced hoes like that, okay? We hate queer coding villains, but we also just sometimes just love a queer coded villain, you know? Actually, like in preparation for this episode, we've been able to pinpoint like there are so many ways to queer code a villain. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that we're really into categorizing mm. tropes and genres and characters, etc. And because it's because we have mental illness, isn't it, love? Yeah, but yeah. In preparation for this episode, we did categorize our favorite queer coded slash LGBT villains, and I think we've managed to find like the good kind of queer coded villains versus like yeah. the bad kind. You know, I mean, it's still very subjective, but. I'd say these kinds are better than the worst, but we're only talking about our faves today. Like we're not really into, (laughs) I'm not particularly interested in condemning anything today. I just want to talk about my favorite Yeah, we're just going to talk about villains we heart, you know, villains that we love. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite kind of villain, Mary? My favorite kind of villain, I guess, could basically be typified by Keith Ledger's Joker. I feel like a lot of people are probably going to groan and roll their eyes because of the amount of dude bros that have ruined Heath Ledger's Joker for them. But hear me out. That type of villain, I call them the unstoppable kind because they don't have any like, they're not doing this the for like a moral. kind. Yeah, they're not doing this for what they perceive to be moral. So like none of your like Thanos bullshit of like, I want to help the resources of the planet. Like, no, 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 none of that. You know, none of this, I have a tragic backstory. Like, no, 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 don't care. I love the villains who are just like, you know why I'm doing this? Because it's fun, because I enjoy it, because there's nothing you can say to me or do that is going to be more interesting than me doing what I do best, you know? And I think that type of villain Heath Ledger played to perfection in that version of the Joker. We miss you, Heath. Like, I genuinely love Heath Ledger's Joker. I like him specifically because he is terrifying and specifically because he is unstoppable. And also he's kind of gay. He is kind of gay. But also, I like villains 
villains who are intelligent. There are plenty of unstoppable villains who are just stupid. Mm. Who are just like, literally, I'm going to keep trying to do this even though like, I would classify Voldemort as a stupid villain um, <laughs> because it's like, bro, how does this actually benefit you in any way? You know, and he just keeps doing all this crap that's actually just really dumb. I love intelligent, unstoppable villains who are like, this is what I'm good at. This is where my skills are in being evil. And I will show you how intelligently evil I am. That's my favorite sort of villain, basically. I have many villains that I love for this reason, but I think the one that everyone knows, and I still think is a great example, even though he's overused in a lot of these sorts of examples. But yeah, Heath Ledger's Joker, or rather the Joker in The Dark Knight, is like a perfect example of that type of villain. You know, all those like classics, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free. All that stuff. Like, I love he it. He was right. Yeah, he's right. Like, what a motivational king. I think the scene that people don't talk about is that he says that, right? He's like, give me $20 million or whatever. And then mm-hmm. when they give it to him, he, like, burns it. I love that scene because they're like, what the hell? Like, he wanted all this money for what? He's like, why not? He's like, how y'all doing, Dave? To make you upset. To make you upset. <laughs> when he says to Batman, this city deserves a better class of criminal and I'm going to give it to them, like, yes, King, do it. And I've always loved this sort of villain because I think it's a very interesting way to write a character because it also means that your protagonist is going to be pushed to the limit in order to stop, which makes them more interesting too. Mm. What is your favorite type of villain, D? I'd say I do actually agree with you. Mm. I also am interested in villains that are just extreme versions of me, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad you said that out loud. That's really big. Like, Shut up. <laughs> My favorite type of villain is in a category which we're going to talk about later on in this episode. So, yeah, Tell we'll me, get Duran, to that then. Do you see yourself as the villain of your own life? Yeah. So, I thought we should start with children's media. These are villains that we loved as children. Gay culture is loving villains. And this starts when you're a kid. One of my all time favorites um, is Scar from The Lion King. Yes. Not from any other cartoon media. He is, of course, based on Claudius from Hamlet, who is also just a whore. A whore. Like, on a side note, can I just say I really love that Clive Owen plays Claudius in Ophelia. My other main villain man is a perfect example of the unstoppable villain, Hades. From the Disney Hercules movie. Just his whole design. He is literally a flaming homosexual. Yes! His hair is on fire. Next up is Ursula. You'll probably notice these are all Disney villains. (gasps) They're Disney villains from the heyday of Disney's queer coding villains period, which hasn't ended, by the way. No, they've just updated it. So now you think it's it's woke. woke. (laughs) It's like, oh, this is... This is Disney's first openly queer. Yeah, (laughs) shut up. But yeah, next up is Ursula. Ursula is based on the famous drag queen Divine, who's often associated with their work on John Waters' films. Ursula, even though she is a female character, I guess because of being based on Divine, the fact that she is a villain brings in a whole other bunch of issues, not just with queer coding, but also like in the way that Ursula being based on a drag queen and is evil. Along with the queer coding, Ursula also demonstrates what society perceives as the wrong kind of femininity, like the wrong kind of woman to be. 
as opposed to Ariel, who is all like petite and pretty and stuff. Whereas Ursula, she's fat, she's got gaudy makeup, mm. and she is quite sensual as yes. well. And goes after what she wants and is just a bitch. Yeah. Another Disney villain, Shigo, from Kim Possible. If you want to make little, little Wallowa like your character, you need to make her green and a little mean. I just want to say that, you know, if you were a little Wallowa and you watched Kim Possible at some point and you didn't ship Kim and Shigo, you're a liar. Finally moving away from Disney, we have Eris from Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. She, like Hades, she's literally the goddess of discord the goddess of chaos so she is literally unstoppable like they don't even defeat her at the end of the movie she just loses that particular game next up we have like my favorite character ever azula from avatar the last airbender she is just very scary and mean and good at everything lastly we have this performance should have been oscar worthy if the Oscars were worth anything and if the Oscars and the people that voted for them had any taste. But unfortunately we live in a tasteless, barren of culture award landscape. And dare I say this role single-handedly revitalized Hugh Grant's career. And that is the role of Phoenix Buchanan in Paddington 2. One of the greatest villains. Masterpiece. Yeah, in a kid's film of all time. Of course he is deeply queer-coded. Yeah. But I think that it's such a quality... It's okay to have a queer-coded villain in Paddington because Paddington is gay. Yeah, yeah. For the record, Nicole Kidman's a decent villain in the first one as well. You could say she's also queer-coded in that. but Very much so. (laughs) But I think because Phoenix Buchanan is just, he's on another level. He's a theatre kid. Yeah, nothing is more evil. Apologies to any theatre kids who listen, but... No, you know, retracted apology. No, I have so many <laughs> friends who are theatre kids. I can't. So do I. <laughs> but this is the representation that you really should have. But yeah, so to summarise this category of children's media, you'll find that the queer-coded male characters are effeminate they're like limp-wristed they often have campy musical numbers see be prepared rain on the roof this kind of thing it teaches children to hate these behaviors in men or other boys meanwhile with the female characters they're always like really mean yeah and often like really alone i think because they're like really bitter mean old spinsters basically yep And I think because when you're young and gay and like you're not feeling the same way as other girls are feeling about boys, you kind of like expect that this is something that you're going to be. So I think, I think it's easy to project on them because they're, you know, all those things, they're like alone and bitter, etc. But like they have power. It's like they're sort of saying to you, yes, you can have power, you can have autonomy, you can have agency, but you know, it'll cost you being loved. Mm. You know, it'll cost you beauty. It will cost you family. It'll cost you everything. And because you are devoid of any of those things that supposedly make life worth living, that's why it's evil. Even like Cruella DeVille, even like Maleficent, you don't fit these expectations, so you must be evil. A witch! But yeah, even like when you look at the Maleficent movies, like the new ones, the way that they humanize Maleficent is by making her motherly. Yeah, it's gross. So yeah, those were villains from children's media that we really enjoyed. Obviously, I don't know, you know, if you're a writer now, please don't queer code villains because you're conditioning children to see stereotypically queer characteristics as evil. I mean, obviously, like, for gay kids, this works in reverse and it makes us latch on to those villains instead, but it also causes, like, it causes internalized homophobia in everyone, like, whether you're gay or not. 
I don't know. I guess I am a bit hesitant to say don't do it straight out because clearly I derive a lot of enjoyment from queer coding or just from LGBT villains and so many other people do. But I guess, the, you know, the important thing is if you're going to have a queer coded or LGBT villain, make sure that there's a balance with your protagonist. You should have protagonists who are explicitly LGBT or like male protagonists who are not traditionally masculine but are still accepted and taken seriously. You should have female characters who are powerful and all those things but are still loved. Yeah, just make sure that you have that balance. There's no real excuse for it. And if you're wondering, but how can I not do that? Get a sensitivity reader. There is no reason that you can't, to quote 10 friends, make an effort. (laughs) Next category. Okay. Outside of children's media, these are like the actual categories of our favorite kinds of queer-coded villains Mm. that we decided on. Basically, we made a list of all our favorite queer-coded slash LGBT villains, and then I've sorted them. Mm. So I hope this makes sense. So first up, we have the supervillains category. I'd say these characters are evil, but their queerness is the least evil thing about them. And it actually humanizes them, I think. You don't necessarily have to be an actual supervillain to be in this category, but our examples all are. Of course, we have our girl Harley Quinn. We love you. And her plant lesbian GF Poison Ivy. I don't think that Harley Quinn is evil. She is a villain. She is a villain. I don't think she's evil. I think she's just a villain because she realized that being a villain was fun. Poison Ivy is terrifying. In the comics, when I used to read them, she used to scare me a mm. lot because she just poisoned me. She's people. green and a little mean. <laughs> but also, like, I loved her, but also, like, she, I used to think she was quite scary. Poison Ivy is especially interesting because she just wants to kill all the capitalists who are ruining the planet. And for some reason, yeah. that is evil? Question mark? That is a hero right there. And Harley's just her support. Actually, Poison Ivy may belong in the next category then. But that's fine. That's fine. She can be here. She is still pretty super. Next up are some characters from The Wicked and the Divine, which is a comic by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. I really love this comic. It's finished recently, so I would highly recommend it. It's full of LGBT characters, and it's just a really cool story. There's a character based on Florence and the Machine. Yes, all of the main characters, they're like gods turned rock stars, and all of them are based on some prominent real life artists. My favorite villains in this category are Sakmet, Lucifer, and Baal. Baal's personality is based on Kanye West, which is pretty (laughs) funny. But the love of his life is Inanna, who is based on Prince Lucifer. She's based on David Bowie. And Sakmet is based on Rihanna. Lucifer and Baal, they draw visual inspiration from those people. But Sakmet just straight up looks like Rihanna. Chapters with her, I'm like, oh my god, this is like Rihanna fan art, you know? (laughs) As someone who's an American Gods fan, I kind of found it quite funny because in American Gods, the old gods, they agonize over this, oh, we can't. We can't adapt. We can't update our worship practices. And it's like... You're right. In Wicked and the Divine, they're just like, lol, we'll just become rock stars. Yeah. No hate to American Gods. I do love... Like, the book. When I say I love American Gods, I'm I'm not talking about the show. Never, ever. Next category is Problematic Faves. So these characters are often evil because they themselves are actual victims of homophobia and or transphobia. I just think the following people did nothing wrong. The media that they're a part of does a really good job at actually 
making their motivations clear to the audience. It gives them the benefit of the doubt as a way of showing you why they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, because there's quite a few of these characters will have tragic backstories. And I feel like the tragic backstory trope has been very poorly used mm. in recent media over the last decade. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I do. But these um films and shows like actually make it clear. They don't use the tragic backstory to excuse them. Mm. They just use the tragic backstory so you can understand them. Yes. So in this category, we have White Rose from Mr. Robot. Uh, Sam Esmail, why did you not actually cast a trans woman in this role? B.D. Wong, like when he got nominated for an Emmy, he did an interview where he's just like, yeah, there's lots of things wrong with trans representation on TV today. For instance, me playing this character, which I thought, bro, why did you do that? It makes you wonder, like, if you're aware of it, why did you do it? You know? Yeah. Ask those questions. But yeah, White Rose is a character I love so much. White Rose is a villain with a very specific purpose, with a backstory where we can like fully understand her pain and her motivations for her purpose. And I think if if she wants to build a time machine question mark to destroy capitalism, then I think I think they should have let her do that. Next up, Flint from Black Sails. Basically every character from Black Sails. Yes, I finally finished Black Sails. Flint and Max specifically are victims of homophobia, and that's what drives them in pretty much everything that they do. Like they specifically want to destroy the Commonwealth because of this. Flint especially, they are the victims of this oppressive society. I don't think they're evil. Again, they did nothing wrong other than stab a bunch of people in the back, but they were justified. I think the thing about these villains is that like what they want isn't evil, but the way that they get to what they want is. Milner from Utopia, the original Utopia, in season two she is living with a woman and they don't say anything about that, which is why I think she's queer-coded. Silver from Skyfall, just James Bond, the stories have a huge history of queer-coded villains. Actually, like, a lot of the James Bond villains, like, created the actual, like, symbols that are used in queer coding and queer subtext. It's because Quite Bond a lot. is a symbol of, like, masculinity. Yeah, of, like, because Bond is a symbol of masculinity, so it makes sense that the villains are, you know, failures of masculinity, i.e. gay. Next up is Elektra from Pose. Um, obviously the real villain of Pose is Ronald Reagan. And transphobia. And just transphobia in general. But, yeah, Elektra just is sometimes an antagonist, and I think she's great. Dominique Jackson is, of course, amazing, and she's the best-dressed character on TV. Full stop. It is worth acknowledging the colorism at play mm. there, which is unfortunate. But I do also want to say as well, like Electra, when everyone needs her, she's there. She's not evil all the time. She's almost like she's evil when nothing else is going on, you know? Yeah. She's just like, okay, today is a boring day. I will wake up and choose violence. Yes. Next up, we have Lila Pitts from the Umbrella Academy. If you are a patron, you would have heard us talk about Lila there. But for those of us who are hearing this for the first time, Dee and I are huge Lila stands in this house. The reason she's here in this category um, is because, well, she does fulfill that role of antagonist for maybe like a couple of episodes. She's very much bisexual. There is no, what you would say, textual evidence of this, um, but... I feel that the way she sits is evidence enough. <laughs> and also, I like her. <laughs> also, I like her. Her haircut, the turtleneck. That's a bicon right there. I'm sorry, but that's just what it is. A thing with a, with this category that's very true is that even though these characters aren't necessarily the main characters or the protagonists, they could very easily be the protagonists. 
Because I think a key with this category is that they're often meant to be mirrors Mm -hmm. to the protagonists, but the idea is that they're like one step too far, maybe, or yeah something slightly worse happened to them yeah i love all the bitches in this category who we got next uh next is a bitch you don't know but i'm sure you'd like him i'm sure i would because he's lee pace isn't he joe mcmillan from halting catch fire he's by he rocks up to scoot mcnary and is like let's make a really good computer and scoot mcnary's like what <laughs> you you deviant um <laughs> actually have no idea what Halt and Catch Fire is about so this is really fun really oh okay yeah Halt and Catch Fire is about developing like computers like what personal computers in the 80s I thought it was about lawyers this is no and lastly we have Morgana from Merlin listen just (sighs) Merlin is such a painful show for me to talk about in that it's so bad (laughs) It's very centrist, I feel. It's very much like a boring bitch at the end that won't come down on either side. I think Morgana is like a perfect example of how often characters in this category, like really good antagonists, are just Mm -hmm. like mirrors of the protagonist. They were usually deprived of something that the protagonist has. I.e. love. I.e. love. Morgana is literally like one of those mean, lonely spinsters. Yeah, and also it doesn't even necessarily have to be love, like just empathy. So much of Merlin is just like, why didn't you guys just talk to each other? You could have helped each other, you know? Also, I think she as well is completely justified. Anti-monarchist queen. Weird. I used to be really confused. Like she'd be like, Merlin, why shouldn't we hide who we are? And I'd be like, yeah, Merlin, why shouldn't we? Yeah. And he'd just be like, because... Of my internalized homophobia. That's the real winner in Merlin. Next category! Is the messy bitches. These people are just absolutely camp. They live for the drama. They're basically Mary's favorite kind of villain. They are! The funnest versions of those. Yes. They're just, you know, some people who want to see the world burn. Yep. So first up, I have put the Joker here. Like, with the exception of Heath Ledger, I actually think the Joker is a better character when he's in kids' media. Batman media that's made for children, because you actually have to be creative. You actually find, like, more creative ways on making him evil and of making him chaotic. Um, Other than, you know, like, when you look at the Joker movie, when you look at Suicide Squad, when you look at the killing joke, like, it's really just, like, graphic gratuitous violence for no reason. Also, just as I said, like Heath Ledger's Joker is a bit gay, like he and Batman, the you I complete think me you thing. And I are destined to do this forever. Fellas, next up we have the Palps. The Palps! My man, Sheev. Palpatine. Honestly, King of Camp. Especially in the prequels. Especially in the prequels. In the original trilogy, what we see of Palps is pretty limited. In Star Wars. Sorry, Palpatine in Star Wars. Yeah, what other Palpatine do you know? Um, <laughs> he is the one, the only. And he spends the whole of the sequel trilogy being like... <laughs> So obviously he's so evil, evil, and he's so obviously evil, but no one—he's <laughs> so evil, and we know he's evil. Yeah. My favorite scene is in *Revenge of the Sith* when they're at the opera. At they're at the opera, and there are like three very big evil head turns in like one conversation. Next up, we have Mary's favorite bitch. Yeah, the Magnus Archives. Elias is literally like that bitch. He is like twenty thousand steps ahead of everyone, and if you. <laughs> And if you are not up to what I'm talking about in the Magnus Archives, if you know, you know. If you don't, hello, John. 
he again is that kind of villain that I love. You don't need to hear a tragic backstory or anything. I mean, I'm sure he's got one, but like... I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. And you know what? Here's the most important part. Neither does he. He's just very gay. He's had a string of boyfriends who are all also evil, but most notably Mr. Peter Lucas. Next up in line with Hades and Eris, as we spoke of previously, we have the trickster god himself, Loki. Not necessarily the Disney Loki, because... I, I, I don't care. <laughs> Loki in the Marvel comics is, of course, very gay. And, like, obviously in Norse legend, you know, he's got some things going on. Yeah, probably more than he should, but he's got him. Yeah, he's got him. Also, Loki Lysmith in American Gods is very obviously in love with Shadow. Mm. And lastly, we have Valentine from the Model Instruments. Also, just prefacing this, we don't like Cassandra Clare no. in this house. No, we don't but... like Cassandra Clare in this house. But... But... Forever. It was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Literally, the height of comedy is Valentine just being like, oh, my daughter's in love with that guy? Oh my god, it would be so funny if I not only convinced her that that was her brother, but I convinced him that I was his dead dad. Like, that would be hilarious, don't you think? And Hodge's like, ah, and he's like, I'm gonna do it. It doesn't benefit him in any way. This is what gets me. Yeah. Next up is my category. This category is my favorite kind of villain, and it's messy bitches who have something going on with the protagonists. I'm really into villains who are mirrors of the protagonists. You know, in different circumstances, we could be friends kind of things. And when you queer code these villains or make them gay, it allows for a lot of really great homoeroticism. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> which is always great, which is always excellent. So, for instance, in this category, we have Hannibal Lecter. We have the master from Doctor Who, like, fellas. Fellas. Is it gay to... Fellas. Is it gay to keep alive out of spite? Yeah. Just so you can antagonize your best friend from when you were a kid? Fellas, is it also, like, is it gay to die out of spite? Yeah. Yeah, we have Magneto who also could be in the problematic faves category of justified villains. Magneto is justified. Like, yeah. Professor X is, is... Is a centrist bitch. Yeah. The only reason that I sided with Professor X, like, in Days of Future Past was because James McAvoy looked like... Sorry, I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> Professor X has no respect for actual mutants. Magneto is actually, like, out here, body-positive king. Yeah. All right, moving up. Yeah, Moriarty from (laughs) pretty much any Sherlock Holmes adaptation. Sherriarty is the blueprint for this category, okay? I'll just say it. He really is. Everything I have to say to you has already crossed your mind. Like, when they meet in the original story, Moriarty pulls out a freaking journal where he's written every time that Sherlock has annoyed him (laughs) before even meeting him. Yeah, fellas, is it gay to keep a detailed ledger of every time your nemesis has foiled your plans? Is it gay to just have a nemesis? That's basically the whole vibe of this category. Is it gay to have a nemesis? Like, you can see this in the canon. Uh, We don't like to talk about it, but Andrew Scott's Moriarty is, of course, very queer-coded, though that's one of the bad examples of queer-coding. In the way that it's done in, like, an actually homophobic way, you have Jared Harris, in the Richie Holmes movies, he's pretty gay. There's very little homoeroticism in the Richie Holmes between them, but like he's still Which very gay. Which is weird. Can I just say it's really weird because individually yeah. they're both very queer. Yeah, they're both very gay. But like when they're together, it's like, oh no. But also Jamie Moriarty in Elementary and her obsession with Joan is 
suspicious. Next up, I've put Tyler Durden from Fight Club. I know that technically, you know, Fight Club spoilers, <laughs> Tyler is the narrator and the narrator is Tyler. What? But they're still extremely gay in this story. When I was a teenager, I used to be a big fan of Chuck Palahniuk. Not so much now because I have th critical thinking skills. But I did read an interview with him where he talked about how as he was writing Fight Club for the first time, he didn't actually realize that they were the same person until he was nearly finished the story. So basically, like, any initial interaction that they have with each other is probably gay. But yeah, next up, I put Light Yagami in Death Note, but I don't want to elaborate on that. Also, Count Riario from Da Vinci's Demons, Victor Vale from Vicious, which is the book by V.E. Schwab, which just, I recommend to everyone. He's technically the protagonist of Vicious. He is an anti-hero, and he and Eli definitely had something going on. Vicious is, it's like X-Men, but less cinematic and everyone is evil. Like, I don't think Vicious would work as a screen adaptation, but it's a really good book. Next up, we have Jennifer Check from Jennifer's Body. We just Obviously, did a whole lesbian icon. We just did a whole episode on her, so go listen to that. So you'll notice that of the characters that we've listed in this category so far, most of them are men. This kind of homoerotic relationship between protagonists and villains it very rarely happens with women, except for Jennifer's body and elementary and also, I guess, killing Eve. But killing Eve is not a favorite, so we're not talking about it in this episode. But there are women characters who fit into this category, who definitely have something going on with the male protagonists, but they're also bisexual. So examples of this are Irene Adler in the BBC Sherlock, who is supposed to be a lesbian but isn't because she's to Sherlock. We have Alice Morgan from Luther, who is bisexual. And we have the Countess from American Horror Story Hotel, played by Gaga, who is very much a bisexual menace. With these characters, because of their relationships with the male protagonists, I feel like their bisexuality is kind of only added in like as an extra detail, like to make things a bit spicy. Because of course, like how what what better way to show that someone is evil than by making them bi? As you know, I am as you you know why people are evil yeah did you know i'm this? very evil everyone knows this <laughs> like i'm so evil like just today i was like in the chemist today i kept wanting to just say there's some whores in this house <laughs> and i think some lady why? heard me just like chanting that while i was waiting for my tablets but anyway yeah look at look at this evil bisexual uttering <laughs> profanities in a public chemist <laughs> all right anyway <laughs> Okay, so next category we have the fantasy horror category, which is just basically this category is for the literal demonizations. One of the ways they are shown to be so morally reprehensibly deviant is because they are not straight. And, you know, that's very bad and I am not condoning that in any way. But at the same time, Dorian Gray is one of the, I love him, not for who he is in the original story. I actually only recently read Dorian Gray, like the book for the first time, and actually found it quite boring. So I'm not here yeah. for Oscar Wilde's Dorian Gray, mostly because I'm not here for Oscar Wilde. But Dorian Gray in things where he exists as a character, like in a, a different universe. 
I love Dorian Gray as he appears in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. He is a bisexual, bloodthirsty serial killer who runs the bar where they all hang out. And then, of course, we've got Dorian Gray in Penny Dreadful, who, even though I don't like the actor that much, I like what they did with Dorian as a character. But, of course, the Dorian Gray that is number one in my heart is Dorian Gray as he appears in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He's just great. Stuart Townsend. He's just excellent. (laughs) The way he talks. When I was a kid, because I loved League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I used to quote him all the time, especially when someone says to him, like, go after this person, and Dorian responds with, I'm an immortal, not a gazelle. (laughs) And I used to think that was so funny that I used to say that, like, when mum would be like, go do this, I'd be like, not, I'm not a gazelle. Um, But yeah, I just think he's a really fun character to play with in other pieces of media. Do you want to talk about... Drac. Um, the Drax, Dracula. We talked about how Lucy Westenra from Dracula is very lesbian coded in our Jennifer's Body episode, but just Dracula in general, you can read a lot of gay subtext into, especially like with relation to him and Jonathan Harker. A lot of adaptations do play that up, especially in the 2013 Dracula, and I guess in the new one, but I don't want to. I don't want to go near that. Because, yeah, I've been scarred enough by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis. And lastly, in this category of queer-coded fantasy horror villains, we have the Babadook. <laughs> Moving on. Just to end, we have the final... My um, favourite villain. Favorite my favourite villain of all time villain. is, in fact, mm. I mean, I, I love many villains, as you all probably know. I just think villains are great. I don't think you can actually have an interesting piece of media without some form of antagonist I really don't but I think the one that I almost think could arguably encompass like all of these categories you know like she's just that transcendent you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. is the t-rex from Jurassic Park she is a feminist icon (laughs) she of course must be a lesbian because as we all know all the dinosaurs on Jurassic Park are women because they bred them that way. I can't be bothered to explain the science. It doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. So not only is she a wallowa, she must be by virtue of design. You know, she's a solidarity kind of bitch. She doesn't kill any human women. She only kills the men. And the most unrealistic thing about the Tyrannosaurus Rex, Trexy as I call her, the most unrealistic thing about Trexy <laughs> is that in Jurassic World, like in the sequels, they make her friends with Chris Pratt. And I'm like, there is no way. There is no way that Trexy would do that because she, first of all, is a Wallower and Chris Pratt, well, I will not say anything, but you can Google. <laughs> also, she is not friend to any man, Chris Pratt or otherwise. She's just an icon of cinema. Jurassic Park is nothing without her. She's amazing and I love her. Also, shout out to the Velociraptors, little, little evil twinks. <laughs> uh, actually no they're all women too they can't be no they're just a bunch of angry feminists um <laughs> but they're a bit more radical i think than trexy because the raptors will kill women which is interesting should i do a feminist reading of the dinosaurs in jurassic park tyrannosaurus rex is amazing i love her she's great she deserves all the respect that any other villain gets i need to watch jurassic park i've never seen it it's it's fun 
Do I need to watch Jurassic Park? Do you need to? Do I? Um, do I need to? Like, you probably don't need to, but it is fun to see, like, like the kind of film that people loved at that point in time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yes, that is our episode. Yes. Thank you for listening. We hope it was enlightening. Yes. Send us what your favourite queer-coded villains mm. are. That would be really cool to know. Yes. Or just villains that you think are gay. Let us know which category you'd put them in. Yeah, that would just be really fun. Next episode is actually our last episode of the volume and will be our last episode of the year. And we're just going to do a 2020 recap in LGBT cinema and TV. Excited to do the 2020 in review, honestly, because it's, I've watched some interesting things this year. Yeah, just looking back. In it's been a strange year in for, reflection. Wa- for watching things. But yeah, thank you for listening. Please support us on Patreon if you're able to. Patreon.com slash Club. Follow us on the socials at Gavy underscore club, Twitter and Instagram. And I guess to leave you, be gay, do crimes in the meantime. But also, you know, um, be safe. Yeah. Don't endanger yourself. And we yeah. would never Don't do actually do crimes. What? We we would never actually tell anyone to do crimes. Yeah. We would never tell you that. No. No. But yeah, be gay do crimes. Bye bye.